Good morning, good morning, good morning. Discover Church, it is so good to see you. Happy Labor Day weekend, everybody. You made it, summer's over, the kids are in school. Bless the Lord. So good to see you this morning, glad you're here. I wanna ask you a quick question. Um, you ever been in a conversation and, uh, and someone referenced the good old days? Right, you ever been in that kind of conversation? Okay, three of us. And, uh, and here's the thing that's weird about it, like I, I'm one of those people that, that kind of thinks really critically about things. And when people reference the good old days, one of my next thoughts in my mind, I don't normally ask this question, but like the, the thought that comes to my mind is, is like, well, when were the, the good old days? Sometimes people refer to them as the glory days. Um, but here's, here's something that I've, I've kind of come to the point of understanding that when people talk about the good old days, what they are thinking of is almost never what you're thinking of when you think of the good old days. You ever had a conversation and, and really nailed down when exactly were the good old days? I think you'd find that most of the time you're probably talking about separate days. And with the events of the last year and a half or so, I'm certain that there's been a lot of conversations about, remember the good old days when we didn't have the news alerts popping up on our phone all the time? Do you remember the good old days before social media? Do you remember the good old days when experts were experts and idiots were idiots? Do you remember those days? Somebody just got offended. That's all right, pray about it, you'll be okay. There's just something about the good old days that are, that are appealing to us. One of the things that we're learning as a church this year, um, we started 2021 saying that 2021 was gonna be the year of the comeback. If you were with us at the beginning of the year, and perhaps you remember that, we did a six-part teaching series on this. I'd encourage you to go check it out if you, if you weren't here. But what we've been learning throughout the year is that in Jesus, the best is always yet to come. And it doesn't matter what the situation is, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is, it's just rooted in this idea that because the grave is empty, anything's possible. And so we've been, we've been leaning into this and we've been learning about that this year. And so as we, as we get into uh, the next step in our Firestarter series, here's what we're learning. We're learning ultimately that God wants us to be able to live in the good old days every day. And that's not like, um, you know, pie in the sky, rainbows and unicorns kind of stuff. It's just there are some things that God wants to do in us that when, when, when the world gets crazy and it begins to, to bleed us dry of the passion that we have in life, God wants us to see that there is a process that we can, that we can follow. There are some steps that we can follow to build a fire on the inside to reignite the passion for life again. And what God wants us to understand is that, that when we learn this process, when we, when we reignite the passion, we allow God to work in us to reignite the passion again, that, that it doesn't really matter what's going on around us that we can live in this reality that these are the good old days because we experience God's work in our lives. And so that's what we're doing. We're opening God's word in this series and we're using God's word as our guide and the, and the early church, the first Christians as our example. And here's the crazy thing about what we're learning about. This applies not just to being a Christian. It applies generally to any area and every area of our life. 
We're allowing God's word to guide us in the early church to be our examples. We dive in and learn how to start the fire within. If I've not met you yet, my name's Journey, and it's my privilege to be the pastor here. Uh, and I'm so glad you've come and chosen to worship with us on Labor Day weekend. Um, I mean, you, I literally realize you could be anywhere, uh, and several of us are everywhere. Uh, so thank you for those joining in online as well. Um, I'm glad you're here with us. I want to share something kind of exciting with you. One of the things that we wanted to do this year in 2021 as a church was to um, just cultivate a greater sense of unity where we could see and know and love each other just a little bit better as a, as a church family. And uh, uh, one of the things that we're going to do, mark your calendars for this date. Pull out your phones. I'll give you a second. Pull out your phones. You're going to want to write this down. Sunday evening, September the 26th. Sunday evening, September the 26th, we are going to host the very first ever uh, Discover Church Worship Night. We're gonna spend some time in worship and praise and connecting with one another as we sing praises to Jesus. And we talked about a couple weeks ago how a moment in the presence of Jesus can change everything. And so I'm just believing that there's gonna be some, some things that get shifted in our lives as we do this. And in keeping with the Firestarter series, we thought it would be best to do it around a bonfire. And so we're not gonna be doing it here because they frown on that in this kind of an establishment. Um, but we are gonna be doing a bonfire and keep your eyes peeled on social media, keep your eyes peeled on the email. We're gonna be getting all that information to you, but Sunday evening the 26th. The title of the message today is The Flame. And what we're gonna see today is we're gonna see the third step of the fire starter process and for the first time in the series, we're gonna take a look at one of the byproducts of living this life, one of the byproducts of, of putting this sequence that we've been learning into practice and into motion in our life. And so we're gonna be back in Acts chapter two. You can go ahead and turn there. We'll be there in just a second. And what we're doing is we're, we're looking at the documentation of these first Christians. And remember, they were people who were, who were quarantined and isolated in fear for their lives. They had no passion, no enthusiasm, no drive. They were literally going through the motions just to make it. And something happens. Jesus does something that ignites something inside of them that causes them to be radically transformed from, from living in, in this world of grays and mundane and, and kind of the, 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 the dark cloud Eeyore mentality that, 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 that the worst is about to happen. Here it comes to being filled with such passion that they left that place, they went and interacted with people, and they communicated with such passion, they lived with such, with such um, life and such enthusiasm that it drew people not only to them but to the movement because they began to realize there is something that can be found in the movement of Jesus that's really difficult to be found anywhere else in the world, and I would venture to say that you can't find what Jesus offers anywhere else in the world. And we're gonna talk about some really practical things as we dive into this today. Acts chapter two, verse 42, if you're with me, let me hear you all together say, the flame. There we go, Acts chapter two, 42, and it says this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the spark. We talked about that in week two. And in fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. We talked about that in week three when we talked about the fuel. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone needed. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness 
and simplicity of heart. If you have your Bible, I want you to underline those words, gladness and simplicity of heart. We're gonna come back to this in just a second. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What I wanna talk about today first is this byproduct of living and putting these things that we've been learning into motion, putting them into practice, trying to, trying to follow God's, God's recipe, God's prescription here to start the fire. And what he, what he talks about is, is that the byproducts is that they lived with gladness and simplicity of heart. This word gladness means um, uh, exponential joy. And this word um, simplicity of heart, what it literally means is this idea that you're, you're, you're so not worried, you're, you're focused on one thing and because of that you're so unconcerned about what's going on in the world and the things that people are stressed about and the things that people are anxious about, things that people are losing sleep at night and worried about. Gladness and simplicity of heart. I wanna do an exercise together today. Uh, if you would, everybody in the room, everybody watching online, would you do me a favor, just close your eyes just for a minute, all right? I promise nothing weird's gonna happen. Just want you to, want you to think back to a time where the, the banner over your life, the descriptor over your life would be extreme joy. Do you think about a season or a moment in your life where, where the way that you would describe your life would be simplicity of heart, unconcerned, not overwhelmed because I'm not concerned about all that stuff, I'm just kind of focused on this, gladness and simplicity of heart. All right, now open your eyes. If you were able to visualize that moment, if you're able to visualize that season, if you've had a season in your life like that, then I would venture to say that, that when I talked about the good old days a few minutes ago, that that season is what you were imagining. Because it was a time in your life where you had extreme joy. There was, it was a time in your life where you were unconcerned by all of the things that were happening because you were kind of focusing on your lane, you were doing your thing, and, and, and you were just excited about what you were doing and, 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 and what you were involved with and what you were connected to. And what Jesus is wanting to help us understand, what God, what I believe God is trying to get us to as we walk through this Firestarter series is the understanding of how we get back to that place. And not in the sense of turning back time in order to get there, but learning the things. And this is what is so amazing about God's word because here's what here's will happen. The enemy will oftentimes get you to places where you look back and you remember things better than they were. And you look at the situation you're in now and you see it worse than it is. And the enemy will get you to think, well, it was so much better back then. It was so much better when you were with them. It was so much better when you were in that job. It was so much better before you had kids. So much better then. But here's what is the amazing part of God's word. God's word is so true and it's so applicable that God's word can say, listen, if you will take and you will follow me, this is what Jesus says, if you'll follow me, if you'll do what I teach, if you'll, you'll put it into motion, then you'll see that no matter how dark the days are now, that the things that made life great back then can make it great today. 
But you gotta take it, you gotta use it, you gotta, you gotta put it in motion. That's what God is trying to do. So what is the fire starter process? Well, we learned in week two that the spark, you can't have a fire without a spark. The spark is the gathering, all right? I'm not gonna re-preach this message. You'll have to go back and listen to it if you missed it. But it's talking about what happens when, when God's people get together together. We do it once a week on a Sunday. We get together together and we, we praise and we, we preach God's word and we do all kinds of stuff. That's the spark. And then last week, what we learned about was the fuel. And the fuel is biblical community. It's, it's, it's realizing that you can't, in and of yourself, fuel the flame that God is trying to ignite in you, that God has provided the fuel in other people, and you've got to get around other people to allow them to put fuel on the fire, on the spark of what God is trying to ignite in you. And so that's what we've been learning so far. And today, what I want to talk about I want to talk about the flame, and I brought, this has been a lot of fun for me to preach with illustrations, but I brought some more fire in the house. I tried to bring a fire, but again, they frown upon that in this establishment. And so I just brought this. You know, and this one little contraption here is, is kind of self-contained. It's the spark. Listen, almost lit my hair on fire. did not think through that. Like a Michael Jackson moment when the, you know, that thing. Some of you are too young to remember that. I am too, but. Anyway, and it's got the fuel right inside, and so it just, the flame. We're gonna have some fun with this today. But here's the deal. What I want you to see is that that what God wants to do is he wants to make it so that, so that you can always have the resources, you can always have what you need to start the fire, that you can know what the process is. And so what I wanna help you see today is that there's the spark and there's the fuel and there's the flame. And what the flame represents is serving. Now that may not make a lot of sense, so I wanna spend some time with you today and I wanna help break this down, I wanna connect the dots. In a survival situation, when you finally get the flame, you're gonna do every single thing that you can to protect it. If you get a flame, you're, 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 gonna, you know, you're gonna put something, oh, you're gonna put something over it so that the rain doesn't put it out. If you're in a survival situation and, and the difference between life and death for you or the people that you're with is this flame because it means your source of being able to purify water, cook food, a source of heat, all of those things, right? You're gonna put something to protect it from the rain. You're gonna put something to protect it from the wind so that the wind doesn't blow it out. You're gonna do everything you can to kind of protect it, to hold it, to hoard it, to have it. Or if you're in a leisure situation, you light the flame and you kick your feet up and you just enjoy it. What is it about men staring at fires that is so enjoyable? I was talking to someone in the lobby. What are you doing today, man? I don't know, man. I think I'm gonna put some meat on the grill. I was like, man, that's like, like the most man thing ever. I'm gonna put meat on a fire and sit on a piece of wood and watch it burn. And then I'm gonna eat too much of it and feel good about it. So this is what we do in a survival situation. We guard, we protect, we hoard it. We, we do everything that we can to make sure that the fire doesn't go out. We're gonna do everything that we can to make sure that something doesn't steal the flame, that something doesn't put the flame out. That we're, gonna, we're gonna do all the things that we can. And the question that I have today, does it work the same way in our souls? That once God finally ignites the fire, is it, is it supposed to work that we do everything that we can to have it, to hold it, to hoard it, to protect it, to keep it, or does God have something different in mind? Really, in order to answer that, we have to ask this question, what is the purpose of the flame that God ignites in our souls? 
You see, if we don't understand the purpose of it, then we won't know what to do with it. We will treat it in a way that God didn't intend for it to be treated. We'll do things with it that God never intended for us to do with it. And we'll miss the point of what God wants to do. I mean, after all, we get to a point If you've been in situations that are difficult, situations where you feel dry, situations where you don't feel the presence of God, you don't feel God working in your life, you're in a survival situation, you do everything that you can to try to get the fire going, and you're gonna do everything that you can to protect it. The problem is, is that in God's economy, things work differently than the way that we think they should. Because in our mind, if we finally get the flame and you know, the last thing I wanna do is let someone else have it. The last thing I wanna do is let someone else come in and try to steal my flame. Because in my mind, the more of the flame that I give away, the less of the flame that I have. But what we learn in God's economy is that it's very different. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 16, that the last will be first and the first will be last. And what God is saying is, in, in, a, in, a, in a way that doesn't fully make sense to us, is that in God's economy, more is less and less is more. And so we take that idea and we take it and we apply it to this idea of the flame. What is the purpose then of the flame? God's trying to ignite a fire. He's given us the spark. He's told us what the fuel is. And so now we have a flame. We've worked hard for it. What do we do with it? What is the purpose of the flame? And I believe the purpose is this, that God ignites a flame in you so that you will have something useful to offer to the world. That when God created you, he created you with with, with purpose, with a a plan in mind. And so when when the flame finally gets ignited, the purpose isn't so you can just protect it at all costs. Or just kick your feet up and go, wow, look at that flame. I worked so hard for it. Isn't it great? I'm so blessed by myself right now. No, no, the purpose of the flame is that you have something to offer to the world so that, so that there's something that is useful in the flame. The purpose of the flame is, is, well, I mean, think about it. You never pick up a lighter unless there's a reason for it. Even if all you want to do is just, there's a reason for it. Or you do what I started learning, you know, and if you do this and hold it like this for a second, and then a little bit, that one didn't work very good, but it doesn't matter. There's always a purpose. There's a reason why you pick it up. There's a reason why when you pick up a lighter, you want the flame because there's something that you want to do with it. And what I'm trying to illustrate for you today is that the early church understood this. They understood that the purpose of the flame that they had was not just so that they can know and have this internal confidence and awareness of knowing I've got this thing burning inside of me and it's great and it's awesome. I'm just gonna sit back and relax and enjoy it or I'm gonna protect it and hold it and hoard it and have it so that no one else can access it, no one else can mess it up because the early church realized that there was a purpose for the flame when we look in this passage in Acts chapter 2 we see that they understood that the purpose of the flame was to be used to serve people and what we see with the early church is that they served in two different directions the flame was lit and they didn't hold on to it they gave it away 
want you to notice, let's go back to the text because the first thing that we're gonna see is that the early church served two different directions. First, they served internally. We're gonna talk about that first. I want you to notice what it says in verse 44. It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone needed. What it's saying here is that in this situation, it, it, the, the church, these Jesus followers, they called them in their day the people of the way that they became a community in and of themselves because the Romans didn't like them because they viewed them as anarchists and the Jews didn't like them because they see them as trying to um, uh, overturn the religious system and they saw them as blasphemers, people who spoke against the way of God and this early church, these early Jesus followers begin to realize if we're gonna make it, if we're gonna survive, then we've gotta look after one another. This is in part what we talked about last week when we talked about the fuel but I wanna expand on that a little bit today because I want you to see that they took care of each other internally and this is why when I, I, I've hinted at this several times in this series that the sequence matters. We so oftentimes want to look at the way that God puts things out and go I'll have some of this and I'll have some some of that and I'll do it in the sequence in order that I want to, but no, it's important that we understand that there is a sequence. God is a God of order. He does things the way he does them for a reason. There's a sequence to this, that, that you connect in the gathering to get the spark and that you invest in, the, in biblical community in the group so that you can find the fuel that you need. And once God provides the fuel, then you begin to serve. And here's the reason why. Because if you're not engaged in the gathering, if you're not connected in community, then you're gonna have nobody to know know when you have needs to support you. And not only that, then you will have no way of knowing when there is somebody that God has called you to serve. God's called you to take care of. What does this look like? Well, practically, it looks like a lot of different things. And part of it looks like Bearing people's burdens. We talked about that a bit last week, but, but, but on the flip side of it now, it means that you're on the lookout for, for people that, that, that can use some practical help. Someone is having a baby, praise God. Offer to, in your small group or in your dream team, hey, put together a meal train so that you can, you can take care of meals for them for a little bit so they don't have to worry about it. They've got a, a medical issue, a medical crisis. Look for ways to take care of the, of the everyday things that, that they might need some help with so that they can spend all of their energy and their focus on the crisis that's at hand. They sold their goods. They had all things in common. They took care of one another. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but we take a part of everything that comes in and set it aside for the purpose of being able to provide some benevolence so that when people in our faith family come across a financial hardship, a financial issue, we have some resources that we can try to bless them with, not in the name of Jernigan, not really even in the name of the Discovered Church, the organization, but in the name of you, the fellow believers as a part of a faith family. We, you have already given and we're trying to help meet the financial immediate need that you have in that situation. But it extends even broader than that, that, that part of serving internally is, is trying to bear one another's burdens and meet people's needs. But listen, part of, part of um, meeting the internal need is recognizing the opportunity that God has provided to invite you into this huge story that he is writing. 
The huge story where he is the hero, he is the star, he is the, he is the bright shining light in the middle of the story and everything in the story revolves around him and we don't even deserve to, to watch the story, we don't deserve to even see the story but God in his love and his grace has extended an invitation to you and to me to come and play a supporting role in the story that is about telling the world about the power and the love and the grace that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's about being a part of the internal story, being a part of the internal serving to meet the needs of the community. What does that look like? Well, it looks like a lot of different things. And there's a lot of different people in our church who are already doing this. Debbie Johnson is a part of that bigger story when she shows up and, and helps create through our refreshment table, creating an environment where people can be blessed have a cup of coffee, a drink of water, some snacks, something like that, because, because she's using the gift of hospitality and helps that God has given her to realize, listen, I, I wanna be a part of the bigger story of what God is doing, what happens when we all come together. Judy Bryan is a part of that bigger story. She's wired to see detail and, 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 and understands process, and so she uses those gifts to help with a host of different things, including our, our accounting and our, our, our offering process and how we do things on the screen back here to make sure that everything is exactly like it's supposed to be. Chris Veith is a part of that story when he shows up and realizes that, man, God's wired me to want to help people and God's given me the ability to be able to do stuff with my hands. And so, so he, he shows up and he serves on our setup and teardown team and, and helps to create this environment every single week. And not only that, he's offered to help with a host of things that has saved our church a bunch of money by helping us with stuff as we've transitioned into our new office. And so he uses his ability to be able to, to, to work with his hands and build stuff and fix stuff and do stuff to be a part of the bigger story. Mike Day is a part of that bigger story. God has given him the gift of encouragement. And so he uses that gift as a part of our welcome team is, and helping to lead our ushers to try to be a, a bright, shining face and welcoming people in and trying to identify people who are new because anytime you show up for the first time in a place that everybody else is familiar with, it's awkward. And so he uses that gift to try to create an environment where people can feel comfortable and they can feel like they're seen and it's okay, like you can take a breath and you can relax, we're not weird here. Hannah Austin is a teenager who's a part of that story, who realizes that God has wired her with an ability to be able to connect with children and an ability to be able to take these ancient truths of God's word and package them in a way that children can understand it and go, man, I get that, I can use that, I see how that applies to the way that I interact with my siblings, with my parents at school, and she's a part of this bigger story that God is writing when we all come together and we do something bigger than we ever could apart. And there's, there's scores of other people like that. We call them our dream teamers because they are, they are living this dream that God has wired them for a purpose and a reason and they've recognized that part of that is to take those gifts and use them in concert with other people so that we can do something as a faith family bigger than any of us ever could apart. Listen, as the preacher, I get way too much credit for what happens at our church. I'm the guy who gets to stand on here for longer than anybody else does and I get to talk and, and people see my face and they know me, but can I just tell you something, without our dream team, let me tell you what Discover Church would be. Discover Church would be an empty, hollow, cold room and I would be standing here and you would be standing there because there would be no chairs 
And y'all would all be struggling to hear me because there would be no speakers. And y'all would all walk in with that same bad attitude that you had when you were arguing with your family in the car because there wasn't nobody to greet you to try to help ease your day and make your day a little bit brighter. And then that would be it. You see, what happens when, when we all come together, we can do things more than we ever could apart. It's the reason why we say all the time that I believe that God has created you on purpose for a purpose. The gifts and the abilities and your personality, it's not an accident. We've got 15 people in Next Steps course, which just relaunched today in person, praise God. We've got 15 people in Next Steps course right now walking through a process where we're trying to help them answer the question, why am I here? And what am I supposed to do about it? So God's wired and the early church understood that they were to serve internally, but I also want you to see that they served externally. Notice what it says in verse 43. It says, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, let me give you a little bit of a, um, I mean, of a, of a asterisk here. There's a whole lot of dense teaching that can be done here and that we don't have time for today. We'll do it another time. But suffice it to say that when Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus was here, he trained his disciples these early followers, and he left, and he said, listen, go start the church, go be my witnesses, go tell them about me, namely, about how I died on a cross and I rose from the grave and came back from the dead. And in order to provide some, some um, power, in order to provide some credibility to this message, God enabled them and God gifted them with these abilities to do these supernatural things. Things like healing people with illnesses and, and people who were paralyzed and people who were blind and people who had leprosy and, and the ability to cast out demons. And that was for the purpose of helping people understand this, these people aren't just regular people. There's something going on with this idea that this Jesus guy came back from the grave. But what we can take and apply to our understanding and situation today, regardless of kind of where you land on all of this, is that it is emphatically true that in every single one of us, God has wired us and gifted us with things that are useful to the world. And what the early apostles were doing is they were leading by example and saying, listen, we're taking what God has put inside of us and we're gonna go out to the crowd where the people aren't with us and we're gonna tell them about the love of Jesus and we're gonna serve them with what we have. And they were providing an example that the, the rest of the early church would follow, that they would go and they would serve not just internally, but serve externally the people who were not a part of the Jesus, the Jesus movement, people who weren't Jesus people to serve as a, as a foundation, to serve as a springboard, as a launching pad into the opportunity to telling people about Jesus. And what it does, it establishes this truth that we say somewhat regularly around here that saved people, that is anybody who has, has been changed by Jesus, you know that your home is in heaven, you've been made a new creation, that saved people serve people, why? So that served people can be saved that it's through the way that we serve people that serves as the credibility to our message. It serves as the, 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 the launching pad that, that, that allows us to be able to tell people about the love of Jesus because only people who have been loved in a profound way would be willing to go serve people by going out of their way. Save people, serve people, so that serve people can be saved. You might say, well, I, you know, I don't have any supernatural cosmic powers. 
I can't heal people, uh, can't raise people from the dead. <laughs> I don't have that. And you're probably right. I mean, unless a member of the Avengers is here today, it's probably true that nobody has supernatural cosmic powers. But it is critical that you understand that God says in his word that he created you. He says he knit you together when you were in your mother's womb. And it says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is something, whether you are a Jesus person or not, that the God of heaven, when he put your molecular DNA together and aligned all the cells and, and put it all together, he put it all together so that you had some things that were useful to offer to the world. And when you become a Jesus person, then God wants you to understand that you're to take that thing, that, that the flame that he's been given you, and, and you're supposed to take it and offer it to the world because the flame is useful. The flame is powerful. The flame can, can provide sustenance and, and provide life and, and, and can make it possible for people to be able to live in a different kind of way fire that God is teaching you to start is the passion that is igniting for life again is useful to the world. But you have to choose to be open-handed with it. Notice what Jesus said. This is a passage we refer to a lot because it's so practical to our lives. Matthew 5 said this, that you are the light of the world, right? When you become a Jesus person, when, when you become a new creation, then God is saying, listen, I have, I have put the flame inside of you. You might need some help stoking the flame and igniting the flame, but I need you to understand that you are the light of the world because the Holy Spirit of God has come and taken residence inside of you and lives in you. You are the light of the world. And, and notice how useful the light of the world is. He says a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden because it shines bright into the darkness. For anybody that is looking for a beacon of hope, for any wayward traveler that is, that is struggling, that is barely surviving, that's barely making it, a city that is set on a hill it can't be hidden. It shines bright out into the night and declares, here is where there are people. Here is where you can find safety. Here is where you will be loved and accepted. Here is where you can be taken care of. He's saying, you are the light of the world. He says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Therefore, let your light so shine before men so they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What he's saying is, is listen, I didn't give you this light so that you could cover it. I, I didn't give you this light so that you can, you know, do everything to prevent anything from getting to it, or, 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 or I didn't give you this light inside of you that is useful to the world, that, that is the, the connector to connect them to me. I didn't give that to you so that you just hoard it and protect it and hold it and try to keep it safe. I didn't give it to you so you put it under a basket. If you've been around church for a long time, you've probably seen somebody do an illustration where they light a lamp and they put it under a basket and go, see, it's hidden, you can't see it. And it's like, yeah, that's what it says. But I believe that there is another component to what Jesus is talking about here that we need to understand about the light and how we interact with it. Because when you put it under a basket, you don't just... You don't just cover it. When you put it under a basket, you eventually smother it.
now there's no light at all. Jesus is saying, I didn't give you the light so that you can protect it, hoard it, hold it. If you do that too much, then you'll, you'll smother it. And now, no longer is there not even a light that is useful to the world. Now, there's not even a light that is useful to you. And Jesus is desperate for us to understand today that the purpose of this is not to cover it, not to hide it, but to take it and make it useful. Allow people to see, you say, well, you don't understand. I, you know, I have to kind of be careful about, you know, we're talking about serving externally. I gotta be careful at work. I can't be, I be, you know, I can't be too outspoken about my faith. That kind of frown upon that. Okay, I understand that. There probably are some places where you should need to exercise a little bit of wisdom and not talk about Jesus in that moment, in that situation. Maybe you need to exercise a little bit of wisdom and not make Jesus look like a total jerk by saying, I can say what I want. I have First Amendment rights. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they go, fired, fired, fired. Or worse, they totally ignore you and see you as irrelevant. So listen, I understand there are some places where you need to practice some wisdom about how outspoken you are about your faith. But hear me clearly and hear the word of God clearly. What Jesus is telling us today, that yes, there are some environments where we need to be careful about how outspoken we are about their faith, but there is no environment where we need to be concerned about how outserving we are with our faith. You're not gonna find many environments where they come up to you and go, you know what, it is really offensive to me how you constantly help people. I'm gonna cancel you because you're always helping people, looking for ways to be a blessing, like a cuss word in my mouth. You're not gonna find anything like that. Why? Here's why. Because people will often argue with what you say, amen? Come on, I believe we've seen that a lot in the last year or so. But they cannot argue with what they see. And here's a little bit of a newsflash. If they're arguing with what they see, it's because what, they, what you say and what they see don't add up. So Jesus is trying to teach us, man, Go serve, go, go shine the light. Look for ways to be a servant. Look for ways to be a blessing to people. Look for ways in everywhere, in the places where you live and where you work and where you play. Look for ways to be a blessing. But how do we do that? How are we supposed to, okay, God, like, all right, I'm gonna let my light, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. That's why they don't let me sing. I'm gonna take this, you put it in me, you stoked the fire, I worked hard for it, and the purpose of me working hard for it wasn't to hold it onto myself and to hoard it, the purpose of me working hard for it is so that I can finally begin to understand the reason why I'm here. That you created me with a redemptive purpose and that purpose didn't really make sense, life didn't really begin to make sense until I began to make the news flash, the connection, oh, that's why I'm wired the way that I am so I can take the light of Jesus and go serve people in that place and that becomes the foundation and the springboard whereby I can tell people about how you changed my life. 
And so how do we do this? How do we make this practical? Listen, I wanna, listen, can I just tell you, I, a good message on a Sunday doesn't do any good if it doesn't help you on Monday, amen? So I wanna put some handles on this. I wanna give you three questions that you can ask God. You can prayerfully ask God. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, you start asking God these questions, you need to be prepared because he will answer. If you're in a season, in a moment where you feel like, I just can't hear from God right now. I'm praying and it feels like my prayers don't go above the ceiling. Okay, start praying these prayers and I promise you, you will almost instantaneously start hearing from God again. Here's three questions that you can, or, or here's some questions you can ask God. First question is this, God, who can I serve here? The place you find yourself today, or tomorrow, or Thursday at three o'clock, who can I serve here? Perhaps you ask this question, God, now that I know who to serve, how can I help them? How can I help them? What would it look like for me to help them in some way? Or you can ask this question, God, what do I have that I can bless them with? You know, I don't have much. I get it, some people have more than others, but God has given all of us time, talent, and treasure to use to serve people with. How can, who can I serve? How can I help? And what can I bless them with? And can I tell you, when you start talking to God like this, here's the concern that some people have. They start saying, well, I'm just worried I start doing that, and then God's gonna tell me to serve everywhere always. And, and what if I, what, you know, what, 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 what if I, you know, I start feeling guilty if I'm not serving? Can I just tell you something? Guilt is not in God's toolbox. The problem for some of you is that y'all had good intentions, but not inspired by the Spirit of God, and you're not following the Spirit of God, and you got yourself burned out because you got yourself involved in something that God never intended for you to get involved with. You tried to help somebody who never asked for your help, and that God never led you to help them. You allowed the enemy to, pr to bring this serve guilt on you and go, well, as a Christian, I'm supposed to serve. I'm supposed to help and da, da 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 Listen, God won't lead you that way. When you start talking to God like this, God will lead you to the places and spaces where he has called you to serve in those moments, and he will lead you to keep on walking in places where he's already got it handled and he doesn't need your help. Guilt is not in God's toolbox. That's not how it works. So God wants you to serve. So as we wrap this up, as we think about, we started talking about the good old days and we talked about how one of the byproducts of living and putting this sequence into play in our lives, we talked about how the byproduct is, is, is gladness and simplicity of heart. Exceeding joy and not worried about what's going on around me. It leads me to ask this question. If serving is a part of the sequence that gets us there, then what is it that prevents us from living with gladness and simplicity of heart? You know, I believe there's a lot of culprits for this. Certainly pride is a part of that. Laziness is a part of that. Time. Maybe you're not feeling like you have enough of it as a part of it, but can I tell you that God really began to convict me 
um, in some conversations I had with a, a ministry friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, as we talked about some, some, uh, some people who started churches and their churches really had a profound impact on the community that they were in and at some point along the line, the, the man who started that church had some sort of moral failure in some way. And I said, I remember telling him, his name is Paul. I said, Paul, listen, man, I, I don't wanna be that guy. I mean, I, I don't assume that God would ever use me to have that kind of an impact where we're reaching tens of thousands of people. I don't know that God would want to do that in me. But whether it's hundreds of people or tens of thousands of people, whatever it is that God has called me to do, I wanna be faithful to do it. But as I'm going there, how do I not get to that place where I screw it up? I begin to internalize that and think about what's probably the same thing that causes things to get really screwed up now in the smaller beginnings. Where I would not describe my life or the people around me would not describe my life as full of gladness and simplicity of heart. What is that thing that gets in the way? I believe it's one word, it's entitlement. You see, entitlement is what moves us to begin thinking, I've earned this, I deserve it. Entitlement is what'll cause you to stop serving your spouse and your kids. Well, I'm not gonna do that, that's not my job. It's their job to do the dishes. Entitlement is the thing that'll cause you if you move up in your career to a place of management or leadership where you'll begin to think things are beneath you. To make it personal, entitlement is the things that causes me to begin to believe I don't deserve to have people talk to me that way as a pastor. Entitlement will lead me as a pastor to think I deserve a parking space. I deserve a certain kind of office. I deserve a certain kind of benefits. But here's the thing with entitlement though, it is, it's never modeled by Jesus. Instead, this is what Jesus modeled, Mark 10, 45, for the son of man, by the way, that phrase son of man is dripping with significance because every Jewish person who heard that would have known it was in recognition and reference to the Messiah that God has been promising for generations. For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If there was anybody who was ever entitled wouldn't it be the king of kings? Wouldn't it be the creator of the universe? If there was anybody who was entitled, wouldn't it be the guy who used to make the earth his footstool when his throne was in heaven, but now he has come to live on earth and get into the dirt so that he can help us? Wouldn't it be him? That's not what Jesus does, he serves. Here's the last question that you can ask God since you're talking to him. And as you ask this question, be prepared for how he's gonna answer it. When you pillow your head at night, ask God this question. God, where have I been entitled today? 
Where are the moments and the situations where I felt I was entitled to something? For some reason, those are the questions when I begin to ask them that God's voice is most clear. The son of man was not entitled threw off everything that he was entitled to, to serve you. And the way that he did that was he gave his life as a ransom. This word ransom means to pay the price for a slave. You see, before I was ever Pastor Jern, before I was ever father to three kids, before I was ever husband to Jess, son to John and Teresa, I was somebody that was born a slave to sin. Bought and sold by the highest bidder to pride, to anger, pornography, to foul language, to selfishness, to bitterness, to unforgiveness. Whichever was the highest bidder that day was who I was bought by and I was a slave to. But Jesus gave up everything he was entitled to. And he says, I'll give my life to pay the price for your freedom. What he did for me, he's done for you. I don't know what you're a slave to today. But whatever it is, Jesus died so that you can be free from it. And the first step to experiencing that freedom is inviting him to come into your life and setting you free. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.